I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund Backstage Capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. Let's go. Welcome back to Your First Million. This is Arlen. I'm so happy to be back talking to you right now. This episode is one of my favorites so far. Nashley Cephas, PhD. And tell me something, wouldn't you watch a TV show on TNT called that? I mean, (laughs) Nashley Cephas, PhD. She is a black woman. She is, as you'll hear on this episode, a millionaire and a lot more than that. So much more than those two things. And it was my pleasure, my honor to talk to her and learn all about her world, how she got here and what she's doing with the newfound privilege, all of that. I mean, it's a story and you're going to want to listen in. You're going to want to hear these gems. It's going to be super accessible. And uh, I'm excited too. She's um, she's from Jackson, Mississippi, where I was born, and doing a lot of cool things out there. A lot of cool things there in Atlanta. So stick around for that. Earlier this week, I got to do something really fun, really fun, and it was the first time I got to do it ever in my life, and was such an experience. I may even podcast differently because of the experience. I don't know. We'll see. I have to listen to my own. Uh, voice on this to see if I do. But I recorded the audio version of my book, It's About Damn Time. I recorded in Austin, Texas, Monday through Wednesday of this week. And um, yeah, I can tell you a little bit about it if you've ever been curious about how those, how that happens. You know, you if you've ever listened to the audio book, um, the audio version of any book, You might have listened to it on Audible or on many of the other platforms that provide paid books or even libraries have audio versions. You might wonder like how what the process is like and how long it takes. And is it like just like reading to an audience is the same kind of vibe or do you have to start over and over again? So I wondered those things and I have some some friends who are authors who I kept poking and, and, and bothering about that very subject for the past year because I'm like, what's it like in there? <laughs> you know, I'd see like little video or a little clip of it or a little photo, but I never could quite get the concept of it. So I'll tell you what my experience was like, and this could be different for other people. So first of all, I'll say that I was scheduled to record this in Los Angeles where I live. But a few weeks, maybe two weeks, a few days, actually, before I was scheduled to do that, I found out by looking at Brene Brown's Instagram story that there was a studio, a really cool studio in Austin 
called Arlen Studios. And the Arlen was spelled differently than my name. I'm A-R-L-A-N. And this was spelled A-R-L-Y-N. But I, I just thought all of that, I was like, it's Brene Brown, who I'm just over the moon about and really respect. It's in my home state of Texas, and it's called Arlen. And I, I don't even know if there's any chance at all if I can re- record there because this is all scheduled by the publisher in L.A. But I have to ask because that's, that's what I do. I got in touch with the studio. I asked if they were available. And then I got in touch with the publisher and I was like, can we please move it there, you know? And everybody involved was super cool. Like really, there was zero friction in changing it, which I thought was really amazing. And so we switched it over to Austin. I was told very minimal things. You know, I was told I knew I had a producer who was super cool uh, that I didn't meet, but I would, you know, correspond with. I knew that there would be a director with me, uh, who would kind of help me with pacing and just knowing what to do. And then other than that, I really didn't know what to expect. So I went to the studio Monday morning. I was there with Chacho, who, if you've never heard his name before on this podcast, he works at Backstage Capital with me. He also is, uh, has been my apprentice for several years, but now is the chief of staff for a part of Backstage and a part of like my world that's called the Arlen was here team. And that's a team that is kind of split between backstage and everything else that I do. So he kind of heads that up and he's always on the road with me. So he was with me. We go into the studio and there's the director. Her name is Stacy. And then there is an engineer and we just kind of Got going. I mean, we had a couple of like we had the, a little bit of a late start, but then we got going. I had the book, the latest, latest, the version that's going to be printed. Basically, I had that on a um, the director's iPad, and I was in a like a little kind of closet sized room where I could see into the larger studio recording part where Chacho, the director, and the engineer all were. They could hear me very clearly across the intercom. I could hear them through headphones that were sitting on the desk because I didn't want to wear them. And I just started talking. I started reading from the top. And I remembered all of the books that I had listened to because I listened to a ton of books on audio, thankfully. That's been helpful. And I just remembered, you know, they would say, section one, blah, blah, blah. Chapter one, finding your opus. <laughs> you know, So I just kind of um, was myself and I started speaking and the director would stop me every few sentences if I missed a word because, you know, you're reading, just constantly reading and you may miss a the or an a or you may say one of those instead of the other because it feels more natural because you kind of in my at least in my experience I was sort of anticipating what I was going to be saying I was saying what I would normally say if that makes sense even though I'm I'm reading my own words you kind of as you're reading it you're like you know you kind of get comfortable and so you start saying things that are not exactly on the page so the director would stop and just kind of politely pop in and say uh, again, or kind of just say what word I had gotten wrong. Or if I mispronounced a word, 
because it happens a lot. I've learned over the last few years that I mispronounce several words and that are some of them are common. And I think a lot of us do. Um, it comes from like your whatever your your kind of household vernacular was. You kind of learn that you may have been saying a word the wrong way or using a term the wrong way. And um, so that came out a couple of times. And then, but even more than that, even more than just mispronouncing a couple of words, the biggest thing is that I kept like <laughs> I couldn't stop messing up. I'm going to see if I can do, even do it right now. OK, normally I can say this word. Let's see if I can say it right now. OK. I think I like a large community. Yes, I can't say. See, I can't get all of the syllables out. Community. That's the word community. But I keep saying community. <laughs> so this happened over and over again, because guess what? I use that word a lot in this book <laughs> because it's important to me. So I it's like a running joke now between all of us, because I could every time this word came up, we started dreading the word. Because for some reason, it was just this hang up word for me. And it was so often in this book. And so I would just say it like four or five times. I would say the sentence four or five times, just back to back to back, knowing that one of them had to work. <laughs> so I did that and kind of read. And then I would stop myself a lot. I'd stop myself if if I heard myself mumble or not give enough breath to a sentence because you the one of the challenges is that every single sentence has to count every sentence no matter how tired you are or how comfortable you are or uncomfortable every sentence in an audiobook has to be as full and as strong as the last from the beginning to the end and so keeping up that momentum and that energy and that tone and all of that, the pronunciation and everything at this, thinking about all of that at the same time was hard, but it was really, um, it, it was challenging, you know? And so because it was challenging, it was exciting because I love being challenged and I really wanted to learn from the experience. I wanted to be better on Wednesday than I was on Monday and so I think there was growth there. I also got some feedback from both the director and the engineer who both said that I finished it pretty quickly compared to what they thought it would take and compared to what they've seen and that it, I wasn't, it wasn't bad. <laughs> I thought actually that I was, I thought I was stopping a lot and had to start over a lot. I thought there was a lot of that because I was just thinking of the poor editor at the publisher who has to edit all of this together and make it sound fluid. But according to the two people who do this for a living, I was I was doing a great job. So when it came to like just reading and not making it so tough a job. So I'm going to go ahead and believe that. And so let's see, I did like three or four hours, like Monday and Tuesday, I did three or three or four hours before I, my voice itself my vocal cords themselves started getting tired and sore. And I had some peppermint tea. I had some throat coat tea for the second day, which is a, a tea that I learned about when I was working on tour that singers use. We would use mostly the backing vocalists would use it. And it's a special tea that, that helps with your, soothe you. 
And then I had some spray that is for singers that would help. And so that helped a little bit. It didn't like cure anything or fix anything or get to get me hours more, but it, it did help in that, that last stretch each day. And so when I got to like five hours in, like the Monday and Tuesday, I was just, I was struggling. So I was, my voice was raspy. I was um, losing a lot of air. It was harder to maintain. So we called it and came back refreshed the next day and just gave it our all. All of us were really on our A game and really sharp. And I, I appreciate everybody that was there. And yeah, it was just a really cool experience. I'm so excited about it. I got to hear a tiny bit. I didn't get to hear a ton, but I got to hear a tiny bit of it. And I have to say, I'm I'm happy with it. I'm happy with the part I heard. If you like my podcasting style, I think you'll really like the book in the audio form. So if you want to pre-order that, you can go to itsaboutdamntime.com. Itsaboutdamntime.com. And there is a section on the site that helps you pre-order the audio version. So you can have a physical copy or ebook and the audio or only the audio, whichever you prefer. But I will say that because it's so fresh in my mind, it it's going to be cool. And I'm I'm excited about people having that as an audio because I just know some people just don't have the time to sit down and curl up with a good book or they have so many books in their queue. But if you can get, you know, a few hours here and there doing housework or commuting or in the car dropping off the kids or running, you know, doing exercises, have the book on, just like with this podcast, that's when I, I hear a lot of feedback. People really enjoy that. So, hey, I'll see you there, man. I am stoked. I know it's two months away right now, like as of the recording of this episode. We're in early March 2020 recording this, and the book comes out and the audio comes out May 5th, 2020. And I've been talking about it since my birthday, which is October 30th, 2019, so I know you've heard a bunch about it because you, if you listen to this podcast, I am like a kid the night before Christmas every single day. <laughs> it is really, really, um, it's exciting and it's nerve wracking. And the more people who get advanced copies of the book who are getting these galleys, they're called galleys, they're like a paperback version of the book, a couple of edits prior to the print version. People who are reading that, you know, reviewers or close friends or now people who, are, who aren't close friends and are giving me feedback now, like in the last month alone, um, it's been crazy. It's been really nice feedback. And it makes me even more excited, not just to see like how many copies sell, because of course I'm interested in that. I'm an entrepreneur. I care about that a lot and I want it to be a good selling product. But honestly, like real, real, I feel like there are going to be some people who gain something new with the book and start something new or feel like they can complete something or feel better about themselves or feel ready for the next 10 years or, you know, get out of a slump or out of a depression and the thought of that, like right now, I'm, I have like goosebumps thinking about it, and I can't even really express what I'm feeling, how the, the physical feeling I have. It's just like, I am so excited. 
to share this part because I feel like I got I got the last word here. And there's so many people who have been trying to like t- tell my narrative for me or kind of, I don't know. I just feel like I got to say my piece in this book all in one place. So you don't have to you don't have to wonder. You don't have to ask how I think about something or how how I did something or how I feel about something. It's all in this book. And that's like a, it feels triumphant to me. And it feels like it's something that will be all of our triumph as we start getting feedback from people, as people start, who have never heard of me, start picking it up at airports or Barnes and Noble or on Amazon or gifted at a book club or as that starts happening and more and more people hear about it, I'm going to share that with, with you all because it's our victory, just like everything else that I that I've been doing the last thing I'll say because this is a super long intro is that we just opened up just excited about this too just opened up a book launch team this is something I've been working on for several weeks and I couldn't talk about it because it's like self-imposed I didn't I wanted to kind of come out with it just two months before the uh, release but I'm doing a book launch team like I'm I have a volunteer book launch team you can sign up for that right now so if you've listened to this whole intro, if you're about to listen to me talk to Nashley, if you're excited about the book, if you like the podcast, all of that, and you want to be involved in helping to spread the word in a very intentional way, and you can't wait those two months, you want to read the book online early. Are you listening? <laughs> you can read the book before it comes out. If you join the book launch team. You get to read the book early so that you can review it on Goodreads and then eventually on Amazon. You know, give a really honest review. I'll also send you a uh, it's a an it's about damn time t-shirt. You may have seen me walking around with one. You'll get yours. I'll give you your it's about damn time t-shirt for joining. And I'm going to be keeping up with you through text messages. I'm going to be doing that, but only with the people at first, only with the people who are in this book team. So it's, it's, it's going to be cool. It's going to be cool. So sign up for it. Go to itsaboutdamntime.com slash launch team. If you don't remember that, just go to the website and you can click on launch team when you get there. You read the instructions, you fill out the form, and then um, we're starting with 100 people. And um, we'll let you know if you get in. And then we'll go from there. So I will see you there. You can take a break, push pause, go do that really quickly. It's about damntime.com slash launch team. Sign up for that to, to read the book early online. Then come back <laughs> and listen to one of my favorite interviews from your first million that I've ever done since starting. Nashley Cephas. Thanks. I am Dr. Nashley Cephas, and I am an applied scientist at Amazon. I'm also a CEO and founder of nonprofit The Bean Path. I have been so looking forward to this conversation ever since Jewel Burks was on this same podcast, yep. The First Million. Yep. It was last summer during Essence Fest that we talked. And on that episode, if you've listened to that episode, 
she mentions Nashley. She says, you have to have Nashley on. Mm-hmm. And so we've been working on that since. And um, I'm glad you're here. Where do you live? Where are you based out of? So I'm based in Atlanta, mm-hmm. Atlanta, Georgia. My hometown is Jackson, Mississippi. Yes. And so I'm back and forth from there doing a lot of great things there. I love to talk about it. And I'm actually on the West Coast pretty often um, on behalf of just the nature of what I do, you know, a lot of tech happens here. And so I'm pretty often in Seattle, the Bay Area, L.A. So I'm pretty uh, used to these parts as well. Yeah. And you touched on a few things. So you're based in Atlanta, which I would have imagined being at, at Park Pick and now Amazon. But you're from the same place I'm from. You're from Jackson, Mississippi. I was born in Jackson, Mississippi. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, oh, I was, wow. and, I and all of my mother's side of the family lives there, which is the fa- the side of the family that I'm closest to. Wow. They're there right okay. now, um, and I, of course, was there all through my childhood visiting. I grew mm-hmm. up in Dallas. Got you. And, in fact, my two of my cousins, at least two of my cousins from Jackson are going to Vegas with my mom this okay. week. <laughs> okay, okay, wonderful. Yeah. Wow, that, that is amazing. A lot of people— you know, as, as you may know, Mississippi, uh, we get a really bad rap. You know, mm-hmm. as, as, at least the places that I go, a lot of times people say when they see Mississippi, they automatically write you off. Yes. When they hear the way I talk, you know, like, oh, I don't know. I don't know about this one. But, you know, there's a lot of great people from Mississippi, from of that course. area, yes. the southeast in general. Um, you think about the great migration. A lot of people moved up, moved north, moved out to the west, but their roots are right there. A lot of things uh, were born there. So I, w- I really believe in it and going back and, and really supporting the things that are going on there. Yeah, that's amazing. And you mentioned you're doing something back in Jackson. So we want to talk about that for sure. Before we discuss that, though, talk a little bit more about what you what you do for a living and and what mm-hmm. your expertise is in. Right. So as I mentioned, I'm an applied scientist at Amazon, um, artificial intelligence. And so that is my area of expertise. And so it's a little bit of a, a story how I got there. You, you definitely already know the part pick story. Um, I was the chief technology officer, the CTO at that startup. And a lot of people, I guess they, a lot of people didn't realize that, you know, that you had this great woman, Jewel Burks, you know, and I love her. That's I, I attribute a lot of my success to her and just helping me really find my voice and getting and putting myself out there. Um, and she's awesome. And so behind the woman was another woman. And so actually CTO and a lot of times uh, when we're developing startups, a lot of our our people, we like to outsource the tech talent or we get the tech talent from elsewhere. But we actually had ingrown black female tech talent right there leading the team. And I think that was one of the reasons why we were so successful because of that, that chemistry. And so, as as I mentioned, born and raised in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, I went to uh, Mississippi State University for undergrad and computer engineering. That was my major. Um, I then went to Georgia Tech for computer engineering for my PhD. And so Georgia Tech is really great. Atlanta, really great support system, top engineering school, but also graduates the top uh, black and brown engineers in terms of those high, uh, highly ranked engineering schools. And so I knew that that's where I wanted to go. At that time, I was introduced to Jewel Burks. And I remember working on my PhD and, you know, trying to finish. And I was like, you know, everybody leave me alone, please. I'm trying to finish. But um, I remember Troy and Travis Nunnally introduced me to Jewel and um, and they, they called themselves the Tech Twins in Atlanta. But uh, we, we talked and I remember, you know, saying, no, Troy, leave me alone. I got I got work to do. But when I found out who it was, it was a black woman. 
And she was she was younger, uh, slightly younger than me. And she had this wonderful idea that I definitely had the skill set in expertise in, in terms of image recognition, deep learning, artificial intelligence, computer vision. And I instantly knew, OK, I have to help her. I cannot say I cannot pass on this. And so, of course, you know, the story of Park Pick, um, we built the team out. I well, well I have to say a oh, lot of people listening won't know the story. So tell okay, the yeah, tell yeah. the general what is Park Pick? What did it do? What you Okay. Know. So Park Pick was a startup. It began in uh, 2013. Our CEO was Jewel Burks, but what we did was visual search for replacement parts. So if you had a screw, a nut, a nut bolt or washer that you wanted to try to find, we allowed you to take a picture of it and we not only identified what type of part it was, but we also measured the part. So we're able to tell you this is the length, this is the base diameter, this is the threads per inch, and all these algorithms that we created. And so I led the team. We had about five engineers, all guys. It was great. I was I was in charge. And so <laughs> um, we were able to work for about almost two years. And then, of course, uh, May it was May of 2016 when I was presenting on stage at a conference in Boston. And I remember Jewel couldn't make it to that conference for whatever reason. I can't remember, but she sent me. And so, you know, I was thinking, oh, well, you know, little old me, I'll go and I'll, I'll, I'll give the presentation. But as soon as I finished that presentation, I came off the steps of the stage. The guy from Amazon approached me. Mm. And he was like, wow, we really like that technology you were talking about. Can we talk some more? And one thing led to another. And we sold the company to Amazon in 2016, mm. in May of uh, November of 2016. A majority of our team moved over to Amazon, and so we became the people that worked on the visual search technology at Amazon. And a lot of people don't know that we were the first engineering team Amazon ever had in Atlanta, Georgia. Wow. And so yeah, we were— Yeah, they, these stories aren't—I mean, they're told. I, I know some of these stories, but these to- stories aren't told far and wide. Mm-hmm. And your mm-hmm. story obviously wasn't told far and wide because you didn't even think that going to this conference might— be anything right what is it do you that you think you said on that stage that really resonated with Amazon at the time so we were doing deep learning and that basically means um, we were training algorithms to recognize objects in particular parts and uh, a lot of companies were embarking upon that you know skill set but what really set us apart was that we also measured the part and we actually created the algorithm by if you take a picture of a penny next to the part, we know that we can look at a penny and we can say, well, the penny is so many pixels wide in the image. We know that a penny is 0.75 inches. So now do a little math. We yes. can convert the pixels to inches and use that to measure the length, the width, the diameter and all these things about the part. And that was the algorithm that nobody else was doing at the time. And it was it was amazing because we often I think we often discount ourselves. I remember when we were going to Amazon thinking, oh, wow, this is the Holy Grail. They're going to have all this great stuff. But I honestly believe like at Parpit, we had a way better product. We're way ahead of our time. And we were, you know, we, we were doing things back then that Amazon is just starting to do now. Incredible. And they have you to help them start doing it. Right. Right. What is because this is your first million. That's when the conversation happened, actually, with Jules' conversation. I'm just going to speak for her a little bit, but Mm -hmm. it it seemed to me that she was proud that it wasn't just her that became a millionaire Mm -hmm. with that exit. You know, we're not talking specific numbers, but I said to her, 
does that mean that Ashley is a millionaire and she's <laughs> or she should be on this show? And she uh-huh. said, yes. Yeah. So yep. what was that like for you, though, that moment where you understood that your ingenuity, your talent, your skill had helped to catapult part pick into the stratosphere? So I don't think any of us knew uh, where this would take us, uh, like like truly knew where this could take us. I think me personally, I was wanting to really help. Um, that's always my motivation. How can I impact somebody? How can I help? And uh, when I saw that she needed someone to help build this out and she needed someone to help guide the technology, I was like, well, I'm, I'm your girl. I can definitely do that. I can do that in my sleep. Wow. And I can do it for someone who looks like me. Like that really motivated me. I remember after graduate school, we had been working with Park Pick. This was before Jewel raised her, her money, the first, um, the seed round. And so I had been a poor graduate student. You know, I don't know if y'all know, but graduate students make like $20,000 a year. Mm. Um, and so... When I graduated from Georgia Tech, I said, "Okay, Drew, I'm going to go take this job up in New York City. But, you know, definitely let's stay in touch. So we actually stayed in touch. Um, I helped with a lot of the guidance of the technology and and the development on the side while working during my day job. Um, As soon as I got that call, I remember it was right after South by Southwest in 2015. um, She said, I got the money. I need a CTO. I said, okay, and I put in my two weeks notice. I left New York City and I came back to Atlanta to be the CTO. So it was really important to me to to want to be able to help. Again, like I was, I always say I was working for a startup, but I didn't know what a startup was. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I came up, they taught me either get a job in industry and you retire from that job or you go into academia, you become a professor. Nobody said you can be a CTO. You can start your own tech company. Mm-hmm. And so all this was new, and I was just following Jewel. Wherever she went, that's what I, that's where I would go. Well, I mean, we think about um, a lot of people say, you know, you need someone who can who can build and someone who can sell. And if that's you true. do both, great. But you definitely need those two talents, mm-hmm. either in one person or more than one person, when you're thinking about starting a company. So, I mean, was it a surprise when they walked up to you off of those steps where you were like, wow, okay. Well, or were you like, you know what? This probably happens all the time. Let me not. Okay. Well, it definitely did happen all the time. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't the person out in the front, right? I was I was the lowly uh, engineer. You know, leave me alone. I'm an introvert. Um, yes. just, just let me do my work on my computer. But I, I learned a lot just watching Jewel and her journey and how she put herself out there. And, like, she took control of her narrative. Yes. And I, I was slow, but I learned that in following her and watching that. And so when I came off those steps, uh, I didn't think anything of it. Like some guy wants my car. It was, it was a line of people actually who wanted my car. And so I actually did not think he would even uh, contact us or reach out. And I remember, and Jewel jokes, like when I came back to the office, I just put the cards on her desk. and like, hey, these are the people that want to talk to us. <laughs> and she looked through. She saw, oh, Amazon. Well, what was this all about? And then, so I told her. And sure enough that he called and contacted us back. Yeah. And so that's kind of how it happened. So this episode is brought to you by me, Arlen, the host. And I'm going to use this time to promote my book. It's about damn time, which is now available in pre-order. It comes out May 5th, 2020. You can order it at it's about That's I T S about damntime.com. Thanks. Talk to me a little bit about growing up because what we know so far in this interview is that you know you have this brilliant mind, you can do certain things in your sleep as you say, 
so to speak. I mean, these are highly technical things that no matter where you come from, who you are, it's hard to find someone who can do all these things. Mm-hmm. When was it when you understood, I like things that are technical. I like mm-hmm. things, putting things together like this. Yeah. So, and I, and I say, I grew up in a house full of women. My mom, my grandmother, my sister, I had a whole host of aunts and, and cousins. And so we grew up doing everything in the house. We fixed everything, or at least we thought we could fix it. We got up on the roof, cleaned up the yard, we mowed the yard, anything like that that happened. You know, it wasn't a lot of money coming in, single single mother. And so we figured out a way to make it work. And so I think I took that with me. And uh, I remember it was eighth grade. Uh, my eighth grade teacher pulled me to the side and said, hey, you really should think about this engineering thing. And I have a camp here I want to send you to. And but I why, said, why did she think that? Or why did they think that? She, I was, I was very good in math. Um, I was at the top of my class in math, and she was actually my science teacher. Mm. Um, and she also noticed that, you know, I was, I was kind of ahead of the bunch, or something was different um, about me. And uh, and I, I'll be honest, I didn't know what engineering was at the time. Yeah. I, I had attended several uh, summer camps at uh, Jackson State University, which is an HBCU. My mom was like one of those. You're not going to sit at home in the summer. You're always going to be doing something or working or doing something. And so I was privy to advanced programs, but I still didn't really know what engineering was. And I think when she pulled me to the side and she noticed that there was something in me, and I, I'm a big Lego person too. Like I love Legos. I want to be on Lego Master. If y'all are listening, please Lego um, get Master. Me that's on a there. show. Yes. Now we. I know somebody at Lego, like the HQ. Oh. I don't know if they're any way in any way associated with the Lego show, though. Okay. 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 We'll, let's we'll think talk about, about that. that. Let's we'll make, about that. You know what? <laughs> I, you might as well, because that's so true. Like mm-hmm. that's you think that's where a lot of people find out what that they like that, and usually it's boys that are given the Legos. Yep. You know, and yep. the girls are giving the dolls. And, yep. Yep. My, thank goodness your mom said, yeah, just yeah. play. We were very, uh, you know, it was a, very much so a matriarchy and and women, independent women, feminist type household yeah. I grew up in. And so um, nothing was really off limits for us. Yeah. And so I, I learned that early. Um, it wasn't until I actually got into my career and, and got into my engineering classes when I saw, oh, I'm, I'm actually the only one, you mm. know. And so... Learning how to navigate that, you know, I had to have a good support system for that. But that was something that I didn't think that I had a disadvantage until I actually got into those. Mm-hmm. those did you feel you programs. did have a disadvantage once you were there or were you already so in it that you just excelled? So I remember, and I always say it was my very first coding class at Mississippi State and everybody knew how to code itself for me. Yeah. And I was like, well, I was I was like number three in my class in high school. Like I was an excelling student. I was a piano. I played the piano performing arts and I was like you know what am I missing I thought they met up during the summer uh instead and and got together and I was like well, did I miss something and so anyway they were coding and I was like well okay I'm obviously behind somewhat but but no no reason to fret I can I'm used to working hard I can get to where I need to be well, that's great how, how many years in between sort of graduating school Georgia Tech mm-hmm. and starting with part pick what, what kind of what was in between those two things so I was working with Park Pick before I graduated. So you, when actually. you were doing the PhD, yeah, when I wow. was I was working on my thesis in the day and uh, eating 
peanut butter and jelly and just coding at night working that's on heartbeats prototype. That's incredible. Yeah. Because I, I <laughs> the funny thing is I'm looking at you, I'm like, you look so young to be have have done this. But then I think black don't crack. So you you could be 23. You could be 60. <laughs> I, I, I wish. <laughs> I wish <laughs> no, but you I know what I mean? Like, yes. Yeah. Yes. And so and would you say you kind of followed your your instincts and followed who you, your authentic self, because that's what it sounds like to me. Absolutely. At Georgia Tech, I was making sure that I did everything I needed to do to succeed and, you know, go through that program, which was very difficult. Again, like there were a lot of challenges, a lot of people struggling to get a good support system in graduate school in general. Like that's a topic that hasn't really been talked about. But I think for me, I knew that I was supposed to be there. You know, I'm very faithful and and I believe that things happen for a reason. And I I met Jewel and I knew that this was going to take me somewhere. And Mm so I had, you know, no idea again where it would take me, but I knew that something would come of it. And if nothing else, then I would gain a friend because I I was able to help out. But yeah, so I think um, for me, I knew that the journey was going to be tough, but but it would pay off in the end. And sure enough, it did. But I had no idea it would pay off literally like it did. Yeah, so, pay off mm-hmm. in, in returns, capital, mm-hmm. pay off. And now you have this springboard because mm-hmm. you're at Amazon. Is that a full-time, is it a contracted yes. thing? Like, how does that work? Right. So a lot of people ask me, oh, I see you yeah. here, I see you there, but yeah. then you're at Amazon. So, so yes, I am a full-time employee uh, at Amazon. My sister jokes that I have a full-time job on the side, as she says. <laughs> and so uh, and my sister is, is kind of like my executive assistant. So she helps me out a lot to help me do all these things. And I, you have to have a good team in place, as you as you know. You got to have people that you can delegate to. For example, with the nonprofit, um, I have a whole team in Jackson. They help with the Bean Path, which is my nonprofit. Yeah, and I, I do want to um, get there. And then I have speaking engagements. I love to impact people. I love to speak out about you know, the things that I've experienced in order to inspire the next generation of people Mm -hmm. like me. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, I am a full-time employee at Amazon. If anyone has ever used the Amazon shopping app, and there's a a camera button to the right of the search bar, if you click on that, you can point it at anything, like your shoes, your shirt, your watch, and it'll try to recognize it. That's what my team worked on at Amazon. Mm -hmm. And so that was for the first two and a half years I was there. The past year, I switched over to... AWS artificial intelligence, where I am the, I guess you could call it uh, fairness. I work on fairness and facial recognition. Yes. And so that's let's, a let's whole, really that's put a, a point to that yes. because I read about that. <laughs> We're talking about facial recognition mm-hmm. where people, uh, different products, different tech is not recognizing mm-hmm. black and brown faces, mostly mm-hmm. black faces. Yeah. What are you doing there that is game changing? Right. So there's a lot of testing that needs to happen. Uh, we, we know that there are some issues with the technology, but do we know why that there are issues? And so a lot of it can be traced back to the data that we use. So in case you don't know, artificial intelligence is based on finding patterns in data. And if you don't have examples of certain types of people or certain types of ethnicities, then you won't be able to learn that type of person and in order to recognize it in the wild. And so that's why it's very important to have a well-balanced data set to have um, across age groups, across ethnicities, across skin types and genders. We also want to make sure that these data sets are collected in an ethical way and not in a way that we're tricking people into capturing their faces or 
just capturing their faces without their permission, which there's there's definitely a lot of that going on, yeah. unfortunately, too. Um, and so you have government and policy that are working on how do we regulate these issues? How do we make sure that we're not violating human rights or privacies? Um, there's a several people actually. San Francisco has banned the technology from being used by you know law enforcement yes. um, and people in the the criminal workforce. And so I think that there's definitely a lot of concerns. And my contribution in particular is to say, okay, for Amazon, how are we testing and benchmarking our products? And what are the results of our products? And let's be transparent about what works and doesn't work. We definitely have some issues. Surprisingly enough, there's quite a few um, ethnicities that are not very well trained in our algorithms. Mm. And that is unfortunately due to the data sets that we use. And so a lot of people don't know, but there hasn't really been a publicly available data set to actually test these algorithms on up until about summer of last year. So you've had companies selling the technology for years, um, people using it, and also using it in improper ways. Sometimes you can't stop that, but we can regulate it. But people have been doing this for years on very unbalanced data sets, mm-hmm. um, majority Caucasian data sets. And so we're, we're saying, okay, we actually have a data set. There's one called Fairface that was just released in the summer of last year that we're using to benchmark some of our technology. And it's actually uh, very well balanced across ethnicities such as uh, Latino, Indian, East Asian, Southeast Asian. We also have, of course, Black, Caucasian. And I'm even want to go a step further and say, let's let's break up these uh, data sets in terms of not just black all in one group. Let's say different countries in Africa. Let's yeah, say or even African American. I mean, Latino can mean exactly so much. Exactly. Yes. And so there's so much. Can mean so absolutely. Much. Absolutely. There's so much more work that needs to be done in that area. And I'm just kind of being a catalyst and stirring up, as they say, the SHIT yes. and making sure that people know that we, we need to do better. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. I do want to talk about Bean Path and Jackson. Mm-hmm. What are you doing there? What is it, first of so all? So the Bean Path is a uh, nonprofit based in Jackson, Mississippi. I started a little bit over a year, and, about a year and a half ago, and uh, we do free tech help at the local libraries. Um, it's all about sewing. Uh, technical expertise throughout the community. We also have several youth workshops we do across the the city as well as across the state of Mississippi. And we've given away over $8,000 in scholarships and grants. And so, yeah, for uh, boot camp participants, for students, uh, Jackson State University, HBCU, and also other universities in the state. I mean, I can't just come from a place like Jackson, Mississippi, and not come back and try to change and and impact for the benefit of the people in the communities that I I grew up in. Mm. I've been all across the world. I've I've studied abroad in Seoul, South Korea, France. I've lived on the West Coast. I've lived in New York City. I'm in Atlanta now. I used to work in the Midwest. I've taken a whole host of knowledge that I want to just pour back into that very unique place, which a lot of people don't know. Jackson, Mississippi is one of the most densely populated African-American communities in the country. Oh, that's for sure. Um, In terms of not not a lot of other types of people there. Now, there's Atlanta, a lot of African-Americans there. But as far as having solely majority African-American, but not having a lot of African-American ownership in terms Mm -hmm. of like real estate. And so I wanted to start the Bean Path to kind of bridge that tech gap. 
Um, and another thing that we're, we're getting out of this is I'm actually purchasing 12 acres of land in downtown Jackson, Mississippi to create the first ever Jackson Tech District. Ooh, when, when is like what kind of time period is that? So we're hoping for a year, two years down the line to break ground. We're working on environmental reports right now um, with a particular site that we're on. And um, we're looking at maker spaces for the community where you have 3D printers in there. A lot of people don't remember shop class, but they still had shop class yes. when I was around. Oh, my goodness. Kids I still did need that. to know. Yeah, we need to and make I was not good at it. Say <laughs> what? I was not good at oh, that. Oh, man. Well, that's that's exactly why. I mean, people don't realize that there's still a trade that you can learn and, and be mm-hmm. very financially equipped yeah. um, from making things and, and being there in your community. Let so. me ask you a couple of questions mm-hmm. there. On the downtown project, mm-hmm. are you doing that as a collaboration with anybody or are you doing that solo? So initially it's me owning the property. Okay. But I am working with several people, including the city of Jackson. There's several boot camps there, Jackson State University. So many people are so interested. Um, and, I, and I think a lot of people by now in Mississippi know me from the local level all the way to the state yes. governor level. And I'm, I'm very excited about that to bring the state together to say, OK, this is a place for the techies. This is a place where we can grow our tech scene and impact the economy in the entire state. Do you know Sheena Allen? Oh, I, absolutely. I it, yeah, I would imagine. Can I talk to you because I want to be involved? I don't mm-hmm. I don't it doesn't matter how mm-hmm. I'd love to be involved with that. Absolutely. Um, so maybe we can talk about that offline. We'll do. Uh, second thing is, if somebody is in Jackson or knows somebody in Jackson and they want their child to, or even if they, I mean, do you do it for adult education too? Oh, yeah. Okay. So if they want to work, they want to be part of the bean path, how do they get involved? Right. Like how do they so, get signed up? And so I'll say this, about 50% of the people that come to our tech office hours at the libraries are senior citizens. Yes. They are saying, hey, we don't want to be left behind. I don't have any young people around me. And we're just a safe space for those people to come and just say, hey, I need help. Yeah, that's great. And a lot of people, they come in and they say, I need a, I'm a barber. I need a website. By the time they leave, they have a website. Amazing. Um, We have people who say, I want to get my child into app development. And they're there. They're getting mentorship from us. They're learning how to code. Tech startups are popping up. We've had at least three startups to to funnel through our Path office hours since we've started. And um, they're empowering other people to start tech startups. And so we want you to reach out. Um, we, we need volunteers. Our website is at thebeanpath.org. So that's um, T-H-E-B-E-A-N-P-A-T-H.org. We're also on social media at The Bean Path. Um, we will take donations, of course. So if you, if you want to volunteer and donate, you can go there. But what if you just want to sign up for the office hours? Office type? hours sign up is on our website as well. Um, for every single office hours for the rest of the year, you can see where we'll be. We move around to different libraries, but we're usually every second Saturday. And how often do you? Oh, every second Saturday. Usually every this, second these Saturday office hours. And you can, office it hours. sounds like at these office hours, you can get something created or get something yes, started. Yes. Come in. We have whatever questions you have. Don't be afraid. Safe space. We will help you with them. We will answer your questions. How exciting is that? I mm-hmm. mean, that's great. It's like I, a free geek squad. It is. And do you, this may not be something you have the bandwidth for or that you necessarily want to do but it sounds like you could take that same blueprint and put it into other similar types of cities 
How yep. do people, if they're interested in that, I want to do, I want to be the bean path mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. in Missouri or this right. or that. How would you imagine that conversation going? Would they get in touch with you? Or? Yes, please feel free to reach out. There is a contact form on our website mm-hmm. or you can just email info at thebeanpath.org and we have someone that will get in touch with you and we'll talk with you more about our model. I'm, I'm happy to empower uh, other cities just like Jackson um, that want to get involved and we're here to help. So yeah. definitely reach out. That sounds so cool. I love it. And I definitely want to be helpful there if I can be. Uh, my you. mom mm-hmm. my mom and I work on a few projects together. My mom was mm-hmm. born in Jackson. Mm-hmm. I was born there, but she grew up there. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. that's her that's where her family and her upbringing mm-hmm. lies. And so um, I know she's going to be excited about that downtown oh, yeah. project, too. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. downtown project sounds amazing. Yep. Yep. So that's exciting. What's what's next for you? What, what Where do you go from here? Good question. I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with my life when I grow up. And yes. so, <laughs> um, so I definitely think that I'm not done in technology. I'm not done in the tech scene and the tech world. That could mean furthering my career, you know, in Amazon or, or any other company. Um, that could mean starting my own company, uh, my own startup. Uh, and it also, you know, involves the development and the impact the speaking engagements, interacting with people, that's like my passion too. Mm. And so I can't do one without the other. And so Mm. whatever it is has to have both the impact factor and the cutting edge technology factor. Yeah. I tell you what, I mean, I can say, you can't say it, but I can say it. Um, (laughs) If I'm, if I'm another major tech company right now, I'm listening to this, I'm doubling your offer and giving you that that power to impact other people mm. by doing so. Wow. I mean, you sound like a, a, a hidden gem, diamond in the rough, all of that, mm-hmm. and still at a discount. So um, mm-hmm. y'all need to get it together. Please. I don't know. I don't even know your life. <laughs> I don't know your bank account. <laughs> but whatever it is, they need to double it. I so, appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> and then that gives you even more power mm-hmm. to, to have the impact that you're having, mm-hmm. which is so, so needed. I also think... It'd be fun to have you on something like the Lego or any other kind of. Mm-hmm. You ever thought about doing like a Bill Nye kind of thing? You like know, a TV show. I was just thinking about Bill Nye the other day. Yeah, I was like, where is Bill Nye right now? But um, I loved Bill Nye growing up, and so I, I have definitely thought about that. Yeah, there's a definitely woman in Portland I know who does something online. I can't think of her name right now, but she mm-hmm. she has something like that online. I've always said that Jessica Matthews should do something like that. You mm-hmm. know, I just okay. think that the the more representation. Mm-hmm. Of these amazing, amazing stories. You know, mm-hmm. the way that I do it is, let me see about how do I get you funding? How do I get you, how do I talk about you all day? You know, mm-hmm. that's the mm-hmm. kind of stuff I'm doing. But I think there's there's no limit to the amount because we have so much to catch up to. Oh, yeah. There's been representation for oh, yeah. others for so, so long. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so um, I, I'm an advocate of anything that gets you seen and heard by more people. Thank you so much. Yes. I appreciate that. Anything else you want people to know about you or know about what you're doing? Well, I think um, it's really important for other people, especially like me, uh, the I say the black technical people or women in technology, the ones who actually like develop technology, the technologists. I know, you know, a lot of times we like to be the introvert. We like to be in the background. But I think we simply can't just settle for that. Like we have to put ourselves in the front. We have to expose ourselves and let others know about what we're doing. And believe me, I, I, I learned the hard way. I didn't really want to do this type of thing, but I learned that I have to in order to impact the next generation. And so I just encourage you all to to do that. Take that leap and step outside your comfort zone. Wonderful. I'll leave it at that because that's no better way to end this. Mm-hmm. Thank, Thank you, you so much for joining me here. And um, I mean, keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Hey, 
it's Arlen. Thanks for listening to this episode. So I would love to keep up with you online. You can find me at Arlen was here on Instagram and on Twitter. That's A-R-L-A-N was here. I cannot wait to continue this conversation with you. You can also pre-order my first book. It's called It's About Damn Time. You can pre-order it at your local indie bookstore. Please do that. Feel free. And online where books are sold, where, where, where great books are sold. If you want to go to a specific link, you can go to itsaboutdamntime.com. That's itsaboutdamntime.com. Your First Million is produced by Anna Aichenoa, executive producer Arlen Hamilton, associate producer Chacho Valadez.